everyone. So a quick note on our gospel text, and then uh, we'll jump into kind of our main theme today. In the gospel today, this is one of those ones where priests are tempted to just like, let's just pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> and as I always say, whenever I went to mass before I was a priest, and they just ignored tough passages, I got so frustrated. So I try not to do that with you. If I do avoid it, it's because you're, you know, I don't know. I couldn't think of anything good. Today in this passage, Jesus seems so harsh to us. He's so hard on this woman, and we think, how did Jesus just call this woman a dog? And we're kind of like, let's just move on to chapter 16, right? What's going on there? Really briefly, um, in the, all throughout the Jewish scriptures, what happens is that we understand and God teaches us that the law of God makes us more human. It humanizes us. The, the deeper that you drink of the law of God, it restores our humanity. And so conversely, the Jews always understood that when we don't have the law of God in the pagan nations, this isn't about this woman in particular, it's the fact that she's a Canaanite. When people don't have God's law, they behave, we still say it today, they behave like animals. Right? What do animals do? All animals do, they, they eat, they sleep, they fornicate. That's what animals do. And oftentimes if we lose the law of God, humanity begins to act more like animals. So Jesus today, he knows though that the, the mission that he has is going to go out. He knows he's going to heal the woman's daughter. And he knows his mission is going to go to the nations. And one last passage before we jump to our main theme today. In Romans 15, St. Paul says this. He says, I tell you that Christ came as a, or he became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness. And here's the point. Jesus today in the gospel is showing us he's always faithful. God will never abandon you. When he makes a promise to you, he will fulfill that promise. And so Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Jesus today first is going to be faithful to the promises God has made to Israel, and then he's going to, his mercy will go to the ends of the earth. Super beautiful. Okay, so this summer, one of the hardest things for me has been that we didn't have our gathering at the Grotto series. If you're watching online and you don't know what that is, every summer we have talks that are meant to be really fun but engage people where they're at. And every year I'm racking my brain. We try to do it in the fall. I'm starting to think already about next summer. Who can we get to speak where people would say, oh my goodness, I am not going to miss that talk. And then I would also say, hopefully, I'm going to bring three of my friends and they're going to have a great experience, and it's going to be really engaging. And, you know, we, we throw around names. I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe next summer Kanye West and Pope Francis, right? Like, good, good combination. I'm like, hey, the Kanye West had this conversion. I'm like, man, what if, if we could get him to be Catholic? 
our church might grow a little bit, you know? It's like, I don't know what would happen. Wrote Pope Francis, we'll see if he gets back to me, right? Who are we gonna get? We've had some great speakers. And today I was praying this morning early about how to say today's homilies better, how to, how to articulate it better. And I was reading and I found out that the best gathering at the Grotto series ever happened in June of 1970. It wasn't here at Lourdes, uh, but in June of 1970, I have a new answer. You know when people say, if you could live in any time in history, where would you go to? My new answer is 1970. You're going to be like, what? 1970? Best year ever. Here's what happened. In 1970 in Munich, the city of Munich, there was a Catholic group in Munich that started a series just like Gathering at the Grotto that summer. And people were wrestling with a question that you might have right now and has a lot to do with today's gospel and our readings. And the question this Catholic group wanted answered was very simple. Why should I still be a Catholic? 1970 was a crazy time. The sexual revolution has happened. There's lots of turmoil within the church. Things seem like they've just gone crazy. And a lot of people say, we got to go back before the council because the council messed everything up. And some people are saying, we need to get closer to the way the world is now. Sounds a lot like today. And so anyway, they put this invitation out and they said, let's get, let's get the best speakers. And in June, on June 4th of 1970, they got a, a priest named Joseph Ratzinger, who you and I know as Pope Benedict XVI. One week later, on June 11th of 1970, they got Hansers von Balthasar. Both crowds, both nights, drew a thousand people. John, like, man, Lord, I never thought I'd say it, but man, 1970. <laughs> I want to go back then. And they answered the question. Both of them gave a lecture on why am I still Catholic? with all the mess that's happened. And so today's homily is sponsored by Joseph Ratzinger. I read that talk this morning, and it's one of the most just articulate responses to that question. So Pope Benedict says this. He says, at Vatican I, which happened in 1870, he says the way that Catholics thought about the church, they, he says the church thought of itself as the great eschatological banner visible from afar that summons and unites mankind. So the church, in other words, is this great symbol. It's this great flag and everyone can see it and it calls all mankind to unity. She is the standard for which Isaiah hoped, visible from afar, which everyone can recognize and unambiguously shows the way to all. And he goes on, and he talks about in that time, at the end of the 19th century, we as Catholics thought that it's obvious the church is the light of the nations. It's just obvious. But Joseph Ratzinger goes on and he says, but today in 1970, and I would say also today in 2020, all this seems to have turned into the opposite. Not, pro not marvelous propagation, 
but a stagnant club that was incapable of surpassing the limits of the European or medieval mind. To the people of 1970, when they looked at the Catholic Church, they said, it is a church defiled and humiliated by a history that has not missed a single scandal. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you ever feel like as a Catholic, today's readings, brothers and sisters, today's readings, Jesus Christ says, your mission is to evangelize the entire world. The gospel of Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church is meant to convert all the world. But maybe you feel like the people of 1970, Father Brian, how, how can I do that? We just came off this unbelievably shameful scandal. And when we look at the church, it seems like we don't see this beautiful, perfect thing that, that should be obvious to everyone that this is where they should be. Rather, maybe when you're in your workplace and when you're with friends, maybe it's a little hard for you to admit you're Catholic. So how do we answer this? And today I have a simple paradigm for you that I hope challenges you and I hope, help you, I hope it helps you to see why you're exactly where you should be. So let me give you Pope Benedict's one-line answer of why he stayed in the church. Later in that speech, he says this. He says, the church and she alone gives us Jesus Christ. She causes him to be alive and present in the world. She gives birth to him again in every age, in the faith and prayer of the people. She gives mankind a light, a support, and a standard without which mankind would be unimaginable. Benedict's point is very simple, is that the church, I'm not a Catholic because of Catholics. I'm a Catholic because of him. And Benedict, in that speech, he uses the image of the moon that the early church fathers used. The moon, if you travel to the moon, you know, if we, if we could go there, we wouldn't find a bunch of light. We would find a lifeless hunk of rock. But he says, yet that lifeless hunk of rock is the thing that in the dark gives light to the world. Because the light is not from the moon, right? It's from the sun. But here's the paradigm I want to get to. There's three stages. Brothers, you and I are called to mission. The person who lives next door to you doesn't think that life really has a meaning. The person who sits at the office across the hallway from you doesn't believe there's a God. The person maybe in your mom's group, maybe she thinks that her sins are so great that God could never actually love her. And the church exists not for you, but for them. You, your faith that God has given you, is not for you. It's for them. The church is meant to be the light of the world. And how do we do that? How do we go from this place of scandal and brokenness 
to be in the light of the world that the scriptures call us to today. There's three steps. And, and this is so clear in scripture, and it's easy. It's election, vocation, mission. Election, vocation, mission. So everybody say that with me. Repetition is the mother of learning. Election, vocation, mission. And I don't know where every one of you is at. I have an idea of where Our Lady of Lords as a church is generally at. But I don't know where you're at. And you've got to answer this question today. You can't put one before the other. You have to get the order right. You can't put vocation ahead of election. You can't do it. And you can't put mission before vocation. It doesn't work. So here's what it means. Israel, when she is in slavery, when she's in sin, when she's broken, like many of us are and like the church is right now, the first step is not mission, it's election. Election is the Latin word to choose. And so the beginning of Christianity is that God has chosen Not because you're incredible, not because you're awesome, you're all, as I always say, you're all very beautiful, but it's not because you're beautiful. It's out of the sure love of God. And some of you are in that place where you just need to know that. The first step is you need to actually know that that man is on the cross for you personally. And with your own background, with your sinfulness, with your brokenness, God loved you before the world was created. And he loved you with a love that is greater than any of us could ever understand. And you've got to drink deeply of that. The second stage is vocation. And here I don't mean vocation to priesthood or to married life or consecrated life. I don't mean that. I actually think we need to stop using that word for states of life. Those are states of life. Vocation is a Latin word for calling, and here's what I mean by this, and here's what the Bible means by vocation. That word means that you are called out of the world by the love of God. Israel is called to be different. Right? My, my parents are here this morning, and I always say, when I was growing up, I was like, Mom and Dad, can I, can I go do this? The Rigners are doing it. The Schmitz are doing it. And their response was the perfect mom and dad response. You're not a Schmidt. You're not a, you're not a Rigner. Get in the car. <laughs> no, no more of that. <laughs> They'd always say that. You're not a Schmidt. You're not a Rigner. You're lurking. Get in the car. Oh, all right. Israel is different. You are different. When the love of God has penetrated your heart, you are not like everybody else. You do not live for comfort. You do not live for money. You do not live for pleasure. You do not support a culture that says freedom is about doing whatever I want to do. You know that the law of God leads to freedom and life and joy. And you are pro-life, right? You are pro-family. You are a Christian. And that means you're going to be called out of the world. That's vocation. And you can't go on mission if you have not lived that vocation. If you don't know how to pray, if you're not on your knees every day, you can't go on mission. Election, vocation, 
mission. Right? In a time of, of ni- in 1970, in that summer, the church needed to go backwards to know it was loved by Christ despite her sinfulness. She needed to grow in holiness. She needed to say, we're going to stop worshiping the idols of the world because, Jesus, you have conquered all of our idols. And I'll go into the desert and I'll leave Egypt behind because I have found the one true living God. That's vocation. And then mission. And I don't know where you're at today, but I just want to, I want to challenge you because I think most of you in this church right now are at this place. We always have to go back to vocation. We always have to grow in holiness. But brothers and sisters, we're getting to a time where you and I need to be on mission. I had a priest friend in town uh, the last couple days from Kansas. And he was kind of sticking it to me. And he was like, Lords is kind of famous. And I'm like, I know. I'm like, don't be jealous. Come on over. I'm like, I need help. You can move from Kansas. And he was like, what's wrong with you? And, he, and I, I stuck it back to him, just so you know, I defended your honor. You're my bride, my church. I'm like, don't talk about my girl that way. But he was like, he was like, Larkin, your church is a devout church, and are your people on mission? We put up faces, and you've heard me say it before. We all look so great in public, right? Everyone's on a diet, and everyone has great hair, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People are dying for the love of God in their life. Our world teaches people that there is no meaning to life. There is not a God who loves them that their actions as moral human beings don't matter. And the people who know different than that are sitting right here. Brothers and sisters, you've got to go on mission. You've got to be that person who can say to others, hey, there's this thing called election. Don't say that. That doesn't sound weird. But you're the one who can tell them, hey, I know, I know you've got a pretty checkered past. But did you know that there's a God who loves you? <laughs> did you know there's a place that you can come and, and your sins can be forgiven and washed away? You know, I've been there in my life. I, I had this mistake and I didn't think God could love me. Or you know what? I had that same question you have about the brokenness of the church. I've been there, I asked that question. Let's talk about it. We've gotta go on mission. One last story, I know I'm, I'm a little long today. It's gonna to be about 10 minutes instead of eight today. But the, um, come on, that's kind of funny. <laughs> the, <laughs> I got my hair cut a couple days ago and I always screw this up. You're gonna screw it up, it's okay. Do it anyways. Be kind, be gentle, be welcoming. You'll screw it up, and then you'll get it right. I was getting my hair cut the other day, and, and I had my and I collar on, and I don't think the, the girl cutting my hair noticed. And she's cutting my hair, and she says, well, what do you have going on this weekend? I'm like, I've got like three baptisms, two weddings, and five masses. And she's like, and she goes, well, are you doing anything with your kids? I'm like, I'm like, no. 
And so I started, I'm like, I'm a Catholic priest. Catholic priests can't get married. And I screwed it up. And she's like, oh, yeah, so you like the Broncos? I'm like, okay, she doesn't want to talk. You'll screw it up. It doesn't matter. You and I are called to mission. We are called to be the light of the world and to tell the world that the light shines in the darkness. And so Jesus, in this difficult time, in a time of anti-Christian sentiment, Lord, may you fill us with the grace of election. That no matter how I do, I know I'm loved by you. Lord, may you call us out of the world in vocation to holiness. May the church be purified. May we be on our knees. May we leave behind our sins. And Jesus, send us on mission.